Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to an episode of The Cliff Ravenscraft Show. I'm super delighted to bring to you a conversation with my dear friend, best friend on this planet, Ray Edwards, about the book, The Four Agreements. Now, because I produce this, or actually I'm producing this conversation as an audio-first format episode, I'm going to go ahead and hit the recording of my audio recording and play the intro. And so you're going to see me just being here awkward for just a moment. And then I'm going to bring Ray on. So here we go. Are you ready to take your message, your business, and your life to the next level? Want to learn from someone with more than a decade of experience, training tens of thousands of people from all around the world? Hi, Cliff. This is Pauline from Auckland, New Zealand. John from Calgary, Alberta. Amy Porterfield. Michael Hyatt. Dan here from Dunedin, New Zealand. Ray Edwards. Mark Mason. Mike Stelzner. Pat from Smart Passive Income. It's Darren from Melbourne, Australia. Now is the time to live the life of your dreams and do the work you feel most called to do in the world. Welcome to the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Here's your host, Cliff Ravenscraft. That's right, my friend. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show. Today, I am super delighted to bring back my greatest friend on the planet, right next to my wife, and that man named Jesus Christ. Right there, top three. Ray Edwards, how are you, brother? Wow. Best intro ever. <laughs> I love that. I love to listen to your jingle. I was dancing, got myself in state, ready to go. Today, I wanted to bring you on to talk about a book that I purchased in 2021 that was one of the most profound book purchases of my life. I'd say it's in the top, certainly in the top 10, and I think it's going to, if, if I were to go in and rank, and I haven't done this, this is I'm making this stuff up off the top of my head here. I think it rank within the top five, maybe. And the mm. book is called The Four Agreements. Have you heard of this book? I, well, I know the answer to this question, but have you heard about this book? Tell me about it. Yes, absolutely. I read it back in, first time back in 2019. So um, I've read it many times since then. I'm not sure how many, seven or eight. Well, I, I love this book. I love this book. Oh, that's that's the other thing. I was just like, what do you think about it? Okay, I love this book. So there you go. We're done. Go read this book. It's called The Four Agreements, and it's been a great episode. Yeah, it's awesome. You'll it's, enjoy it. You're exactly. Now, if you're not convinced already to go read this book, let me go ahead and read to you from the Amazon page about the author, and it talks a little bit about the book. So says here that Don Miguel Ruiz is a renowned spiritual teacher and internationally best-selling author of the Toltec Wisdom series, including The Four Agreements, The Mastery of Love, The Voice of Knowledge, The Four Agreements Companion Book, The Circle of Fire, and The Fifth Agreement. The Toltec Wisdom books have sold over 12 million copies in the United States and have been published in 46 languages worldwide. Ray is holding up his copy of the book, and of course, here's mine as a cover art for my Kindle, because that's where I have it, as well as in audio form. Anyway, it says here, the youngest of 13 children... Don Miguel Ruiz was born in rural Mexico to parents who were healers and practitioners of ancient Toltec traditions. As a young adult, 
He graduated from medical school in Mexico City and practiced neurosurgery with his brother in Tijuana. A near-fatal car crash forever changed the direction of his life. However, causing him to leave medicine and to examine... Oh, I like... Do you like my incorrect however pause? Anyway, causing him to leave medicine and examine the essential truth about life and humanity. With his mother's help and through her ancestral teachings, he discovered his own path to awareness which evolved into a deep understanding of the physical universe and the virtual world of the mind. Now, that's something that would not have resonated with me. I would not have understood that language, even the first time when I read this in 2021, but I like that. So I'm going to read that one one more time. Involved into his deep understanding of the physical universe and the virtual world of the mind. Combining Toltec mythology and scientific perspectives, Don Miguel has been able to merge ancient wisdom with modern physics and practical common sense, forging a new philosophy for seekers of truth and personal authenticity. His landmark best-selling book, The Four Agreements, that's what we're going to talk about today, contains practical steps for long-term personal transformation and has been read by millions around the world. First published in 1997, The Four Agreements has since sold, just in its, on its own, 9 million copies in the United States and 17 million worldwide, and has been translated into 46 language. Appeared on the New York Times bestseller for nearly 10 years and was the 36th best-selling book of the decade. That's this book, Ray Edwards. That is, as a person who's publishing a book right now, those facts are kind of astonishing. They are astonishing, especially for a book that is as tiny as this book is. Yeah, it'll take you about three hours to read this book, maximum. Maximum, and that's if you're a slow reader like myself. <laughs> yeah. In fact... Or like, the, or like the narrator of the audiobook, which, by the way... Best choice of narrator maybe ever for an audiobook. Yes, it is. Absolutely. I don't know his name off the top of my head. Peter Coyote. Okay. And, and what a perfect last name for yeah. him as well. He's a bit of a trickster. <laughs> Peter Coyote. Anyway, definitely the best narration for this particular book. And the audiobook is just two and a half hours at 1x speed, which is what I listened to it the very first time. When I was introduced to this book, in actually, first, before I get into it, Ray, you, you said you first discovered this book in 2019, and you said, I've loved it. But what I'd like to know, and you said you've read it many times since then, but what I more important than you loved it, I want to know what has been your experience with the book, or at least the, the contents of what that book has created within you. Okay, so... I want to give a little bit of context. In 2019, I was having a difficult time in many ways, mentally and emotionally. And I actually was, well, this is not news. I've been, I was doing this before and after. I was working with a counselor, the therapist, and my therapist recommended two books to me at that point. One of them was A Course in Miracles, and the other was this book, The Four Agreements. And she said, I think I would start with the four agreements if I were you. So I did. And I read the book and my first thought was, this seems very 
simple. Seems very elementary. But throughout the book, he challenges you to put to work the things he's teaching you in the book. So I began putting them to work and found it was simple, but not easy. Definitely worth it. Uh, My experience has been, this book has been instrumental in helping me gain more, how would I say this? Emotional freedom from patterns I had been hooked into in the past. And also it helped me get access to the end of a lot of mental and emotional torment is the only way I know how to describe the things I was able to let go of. Every time I read it, I feel like I get more of that. And I see more than I saw the last time. That's been my experience as a book. My experience with this book, as I mentioned, I read it in 2021 for the first time. By this time, I'd already been experiencing a significant shift in my overall belief system. I had already begun something. Are you familiar? I'm sure you are. I can't imagine we haven't. I know we've chatted a lot, but we've never in all of our conversations about our experiences of of shifting belief systems and, and all this other stuff. I don't think you and I have actually used the phrase deconstruction in our conversations. But now that we're here, you're familiar with the term deconstruction, right? Yes. Yeah. So for me... I'd already experienced, and it would have been about a year's worth of deconstructing some of what I had held as lifelong beliefs about practically everything, although working through, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about who I am as a person? What do I believe about the eternal life? What do I believe about just business? What do I believe about money? What do I believe about my relationship to other people? What do I believe about myself and my worthiness? So just deconstructing a lot of beliefs that I picked up throughout my lifetime, this is what I was already in the process for about a year or more before I picked up this book. However, my first book introducing to me the concepts that are found in this book were not so, did you say simple? I said, I found this book simple, but not easy. Yeah, simple. Do. So it seemed I was introduced to much of the concepts in this book from some very hefty and heavy books, such as Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. That, by the way, that was my first real introduction into the deep, ancient traditions of seeing the world from a different perspective than my upbringing, which is Orthodox, Evangelical, Fundamentalist, Young Earth, Protestant Christianity. That was so much of my identity, and it's it's what had been so programmed and conditioned into my understanding of God and the world and life and everything. And so at the time, I was introducing other people because they're like, Cliff, tell me more. How are you? Where are you discovering this? And why are you thinking this? And, and I'm sharing, well, I read this book. It's called Autobiography of Yogi. And they're like, Cliff, I can't even make it through this book. I don't, how are you, how did you make it through this book? I said, it's just, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear is a quote that we've often heard. But I've even modified it to my understanding of this. When the student is ready, the teaching will appear. For me, I was already ready for the teaching. I was already for some shifts to get answers to some questions that I've been having for more than 20 years of my life that did not make sense with my belief system. There's just too much about what I think is how life ought to be 
and I believe in these things and I'm seeing some disconnects and there's just way too much that I can no longer pretend that what I believe is in alignment with what I feel life ought to be and what life is. And so I was prepared to deconstruct. And so it was a heftier way. And then I got into a two-volume series called The Second Coming of Christ. And I've been reading that for three years, and I'm about 60% of the way through that one. So to say that I was introduced to some of these concepts a year before reading The Four Agreements, when I read The Four Agreements, it took all of this stuff that I was struggling to wrap my mind around, and it said sentence by sentence in the clearest form possible. It's like, this is what you've been studying in simple terms. And I'm like, I get it now. Whoa. And it's completely different from a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Taoist perspective, but it's saying exactly the same thing from a Mesoamerican, Aboriginal, indigenous, tribal, Toltec wisdom, ancient perspective of the world, and how that is all starting to pop together. So that, Ray, is my experience. Any comments or questions on that? I don't have any questions. I love the way your story unfolded. And I think uh, I've recommended this book to a number of people, and I get different reactions. (laughs) Some people are shocked and angry and offended that I recommended it to them because it contradicts their belief system and they would attest they're not threatened by it, but they act threatened. They, they seem threatened and I'm like, well, relax, it's, it's okay. I, we don't need to fight about it. Some people have just thanked me profusely. Some people have been confused by it. I think, you know, that thing you said about when the student is ready, the teaching will appear. I think that's right. And I have a theory about why that is true. I think we're like radio receivers and we get tuned into a certain frequency and we start getting the transmissions that are on that channel. And this stuff used to bother me. People talking like this, (laughs) talking about vibrations and energy levels and frequencies. And until I had a medical treatment recently where there were electrodes implanted into my brain that help relieve the symptoms of Parkinson's disease And these electrodes, they operate by vibrational frequencies of energy. And that energy change has changed my life for the positive. And so now I'm a bit more receptive. (laughs) Let's see what I did there. So I think we get tuned in to the frequency. Are you saying that message resonates with you more today? Yes, it resonates with me. So this, this whole thing that we're doing right now, this riffing that we're doing with these metaphors, makes me think about some studying I'm doing with... A guy named John Verveke, I say studying with him. I'm watching his YouTube videos, to be precise. He has a, I won't go into the whole thing, but he has a theory about how we became the kind of creatures we are in this physical world because we developed the capacity for metaphor. Mm. And he began talking about how much of our conscious thought about our thoughts is based in metaphor. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? And then if you... If you comprehend it, you comprehensively apprehend it, you grab onto it, you might even have oversight of it. You, and when you have oversight of a topic, where are you when you have that oversight? You're seeing it from above, a different from perspective. Above. Yes. So it's interesting that the first, well, I won't go into what the first agreement is, but there's something in this, in this document that hooked me from the very beginning because I'm a man of words. And I'm excited to move forward and talk about that. I am too. I'm so eager to jump into it. 
here's what I already know. Anybody who is listening to us, and I've, I don't know, I, it's been a long time since I have done a survey of my audience, but I'm under the perception that approximately 60% or more of the people who follow me today follow me because they feel that they resonate with who I am as a person of faith. And what I mean by that, and and by the way, I, I say this, and where I'm coming from is I get emails every week. It's like the reason why I listen to your content is because I love the fact that you're a person of faith and I love this about you and and we share so many things in common. And so over the years, I have heard so many people affirm to me that this is what has drawn them in. And for so long, up until about three years ago, everything that I believed about the world and God and my relationship with him and orthodox fundamental Christianity and all this other stuff would have been, I would say, pretty much for the most part in alignment as much as one can be in alignment with our (laughs) multi-fractured different variations and branches of what one believes about these things. But pretty much until about three years ago, in great alignment with them, and and I have been apprehensive up until now, and I've been dipping my toes in the water of what I'm willing to reveal about who I am today, which is different than who I was three years ago and who I was prior to that. I am reinventing myself today. I'm creating a whole new version of my persona, completely reinventing and now representing and maybe you could even say remembering or put where I was once dismembered from my understanding. Now I'm remembering and representing who I am today. And so I'm just thinking about, first of all, the people who are listening to the Cliff Ravenscraft show or watching this on any of the social channels or anywhere else this content may show up one day. And I would just imagine if I were me, 10 years ago, listening to this today, first of all, I want to just understand, I recognize that if you have not already turned this off, that you're tempted to, because what the heck are they talking about? What are you talking about A Course in Miracles? What are you talking about ancient Toltec stuff and shamanism, if you haven't even pulled that out, that this is a different way of seeing the world through a different spiritual teacher and religious lens? or a spiritual lens, and then Ray pops in this course in miracles. Oh, I've heard about that new age woo-woo that we should stay away from. And and what autobiography of a yogi and Hinduism and Buddhism and, and Cliff's talking about the fact that he's changed what he believes. By the way, I just want to speak to you for just a moment. If you're having those thoughts, I want you to know, I perfectly understand that if you want to tune out right now, and not listen to the rest of this episode. I have no ill feelings about you at all. I don't think I'm better than you. I don't think I'm more advanced than you. I don't think that I'm more whatever than you. I just say, we all have our own paths, and I appreciate you for all the time that you've listened. But one of the reasons why I invited Ray to come in here and have this conversation with me is because I finally want to just out myself for who I am and what I believe today. And this book is definitely one of those books that has opened my eyes to a whole different way of seeing the world, 
a whole different way of seeing God and my relationship with God in a way that actually for me personally has helped me appreciate and love Jesus in a whole different way than ever before, where I consider myself to still be a Christian, but probably the 10-year-ago version of Cliff Ravenscraft would call me a heretic and an apostate. So with all of that being said, I've little bit publicly put some of this stuff out in a podcast called Encouraging Others Through Christ over at encouragingotherstroughchrist.com. If you want to hear the most recent five to 10 episodes of that show, you'll hear a little bit more about where I've been dipping my toes into the water. So if this is all a shock to you, you can go over there and listen to a little bit more about what's happened. But I do want to say that I understand that for majority of my audience, I believe this conversation is already uncomfortable. What would you say to to folks that are a little concerned and uncomfortable? I would say, I understand. I've been there myself. And I would ask myself, do you think God is uncomfortable? I think probably not. I don't think we were surprising him by having this conversation. And um, I think I would just say, if you're uncomfortable, then you can excuse yourself. I still love you. I'll meet you on another podcast, another class somewhere but if you're if you're comfortable hanging out and just listening and considering some ideas that might be helpful I would encourage you to do that so when I was first introduced to anything and, and I again I was introduced to much before I got into the four agreements but boy the four agreements would have been a much softer landing for me to get into this a, a transition to into this although I, I believe everything happens in its perfect synchronicity for each and every one of us individually but here's what I will tell you I was very concerned I was actually I was filled with a little anxiety and not gonna lie I had a great deal of fear about reading autobiography of a yogi when I read it because I'm like, wait a second, I don't know that I'm open to having my beliefs questioned. I've heard all about false teachings and all this other stuff and where that could lead, and it's a slippery slope. And when I started to talk about the fact that I'm going down the road and studying other people's philosophies, a handful of my Christian friends said, I'm really concerned about you, and here's what you want to be weary of, and here's the things to look out for, and these are the warning signs. And and it's like, oh, yeah, I see that sign. And you know, as I'm traveling down the journey, I'm passing all the signs they told me. And I'm like, yep. But I do want to say this before we get into the deep dive of the four agreements. Here is what helped me. Romans 8.38, it says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. Okay, so first and foremost, we've got a lot of things here, and it's saying the next line, nor anything else in all creation. That would include a book, by the way. I think that my interpretation is anything else in all creation would include reading a book will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. That for me personally was my prayer. That was my, that was what God was speaking to me as I'm being exposed to different people's perceptions and opinions and thoughts about God, the universe and all of the other stuff. Maybe that is helpful to somebody who is still listening to this podcast and is thinking about listening to the rest of this and might actually go and get this book and read it. I think it's a good perspective. I think there's there's nothing to be afraid of. That's what that's my opinion. 
Yeah, there's this guy that says, be anxious about nothing. Yeah, and he knew what he was talking about, so trust him. Trust him. All right, so I want to start off with chapter one. Of course, there's a preface, and it and it gives a, a, a beautiful metaphor and a story of, of a man who discovered what people talk about as being enlightened and an understanding of our true origin. And, and it, and it's a story that is told in many different traditions in many different ways. So we're not going to go there, but I want to start off with the dream of the planet. And Ray, I want to read the first eight paragraphs of this and then talk about where this chapter goes, the dream of the planet. So here we are, bear with me. I'm not the world's greatest reader. So Humans are dreaming all of the time. By the way, that's a lie that I just said. I'm an incredibly powerful reader and communicator. I have been communicating for years, and I'm going to do this excellently. I'm going to be impeccable with my word and tell you that what I just said about me not being a great reader was a lie (laughs) that I once used to believe. It was an agreement I once had, which I now disagree with. (laughs) You like that, Ray? I love that. I don't just like it. I love it. Humans are dreaming all of the time. Before we were born, the humans before us created a big outside dream that we call society's dream or the dream of the planet. The dream of the planet is the collective dream of billions of smaller personal dreams, which together create a dream of a family, a dream of a community, a dream of a city, a dream of a country, and finally, a dream of the whole humanity. The dream of the planet includes all of society's rules, its beliefs, its laws, its religions, its different cultures and ways to be, its governments, schools, social events, and holidays. We were born with the capacity to learn how to dream, and the human beings who live before us teach us how to dream the way society dreams. The outside dream has so many rules that when a new human is born, we have to hook the child's attention and introduce these rules into his or her mind. The outside dream uses mom and dad, the schools, and religion to teach us how to dream this dream. By using our attention, we learned a whole reality a whole dream. We learned how to behave in society. We learned what to believe and what not to believe. We learned what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, what is good and what is bad, what is beautiful and what is ugly, what is right and what is wrong. It was all there already. All of that knowledge, all of those rules and concepts of how to behave in the world. As children, We didn't have the opportunity to choose our beliefs, but we agreed with the information that was passed to us from the dream of the planet via other humans. The only way to store information is by agreement. As soon as we agree, we believe it, and this is called faith. To have faith is to believe unconditionally. That's how we learn as children. Children believe everything adults say. We agree with them, and our faith is so strong that the belief system controls our whole dream of life. We didn't choose these beliefs, and we may have rebelled against them, but we were not strong enough to win the rebellion. 
The result is surrender to the beliefs with our agreement. I call this process the domestication of humans. And through this domestication, we learn how to live and how to dream. In human domestication, the information from the outside dream is conveyed into our inside dream, creating our whole belief system. Now, that's just the first eight paragraphs of the first chapter. Ray, any thoughts that are prompted within you on that? Well, it's something that I've known for a long time, this business of we didn't come up with the dream that we have of the planet, of the universe in which we live. And I wouldn't have called it that before reading this book. I would have called it our worldview, our sense of life. Our belief system. Our belief system, our philosophy is probably what I would have called it. I would have said, you need a philosophy. You have one, whether you know it or not. It was assembled patchwork from all your teachers and pastors and friends and TV shows and movies and all the things that you've had putting information into your brain. And you decided you, you didn't even decide, you just believed, which is essentially what he's saying that you've, you're, you're joining in. I love this metaphor that he uses. You're joining in the dream of the planet, the dream of the mass consciousness of humanity. I don't know if he used that phrase, but that's... He hasn't, but, but you and I have talked about the mass consciousness of humanity several times over the years, and he did not use that, but that is exactly what he means with the dream of the planet, for sure. Right, and it's powerful. It's, if, you, if, if you can stand back and see yourself believing and participating in that dream, you begin to see how much influence the world has over you. And I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he said... You're in the world, be in the world, but not of the world. And he's, I think what he was saying to us was don't buy into the dream of the mass consciousness necessarily. You need to see the kingdom for what it is. There's another thing that where Jesus said, if those who are willing to give up their lives are the ones who are worthy of the kingdom of God. And when I thought about that, it's like, is he prompting? He's like, okay, he wants mass suicide. Is he looking for us all to become martyrs? And and I don't think that that was, that's not the way that I interpret that. But I was concerned. It's like, okay, who's, who's willing to give up his life, to lay down his life? And what is that? It's the belief system. It is everything that you believe is right or wrong and all the things you've been taught, all of the things that you think about who you are, your limitations. If you'd be willing to lay that down, you would be able to experience the kingdom of God. That's how I see it today. Yes, yes. And that's that's the reason why I can say this to someone, I don't think I need to do anything to win God's favor or to live in his kingdom. But I do think to do so requires everything I have. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I resonate with that. And for me, I would, I would say to say the same thing in my words, how I would say is I don't believe that I have to do anything to win the favor of God or to experience his presence and his grace and his being that unity that Jesus prayed. I pray that they would be one as you and I are one to experience that oneness. I don't believe I have to do anything other than take away all of the stuff that I believe is separating me from him. And that's basically everything in my life. Exactly. That's what I was expressing. Beautifully said. Are you familiar with the metaphor of the elephant driver and his five blind sons? No. 
So there is this metaphor, and I, I, I am an excellent storyteller, and I'm going to remember this in a profound, different way than I maybe heard it the first time. I know you will, but it'll be an improvement. It'll be an improvement because you recognize that I just about had an agreement with an old belief that oh, I don't remember this and I'll probably mess it up. So do you see how I'm already, because of the fact that I'm, I've just reread this so many times, I'm going to be impeccable with my word. I'm going to tell you this metaphor in an, an incredibly powerful way. So there's this, let's just say African elephant driver working in the desert, and he has five blind children. One day, his children have been begging him, Dad, can we please go to work with you? Can we please go to work with you? And one day, the dad says, okay, I'm going to bring you to work. When I get back from this one trip, I'm going to let you wash the elephant. So one of his children, he says, I want you to wash the ears. And so here you go. One of his children washes the tusks of the elephant. One washes the tail, one washes the body, and one washes the legs. So I had to count that out, make sure, yep, there are five blind children. So they each have their task, they do that, and then when they get home at the end of the day, they're all like, just like little children as they're, they're buzzing with the excitement of having actually touched this elephant. They, they've heard about this great animal. It's like such majestic animal. And so finally, mom at dinner has prepared the meal for the entire family. They're all sitting around the table. And mom says, so tell me about the elephant. And so the first son says, oh my gosh, mom, it, this elephant is so gracious and so beautiful and majestic. It's like a big, gigantic tapestry or big carpet that's hanging from a ceiling in it. And it flows in the wind and and." Oh, it feels so smooth. And and the other kids are like, he's lying to you. He's so wrong. Mom, don't let him tell you that. And so the second son says, Mom, it's like a rope. It's like the longest rope and it's the strongest rope and and it, and it swings and sways just like a rope. You, you could literally swing it into it like I do off of the tree into the water. It's, it's like a rope. And the other kids are like, no, mom, he's lying to you. It's like the columns in the big buildings in the city, you know, the big concrete columns it, it's like that and the other one's like no it, it's it's this hard surface with a pointy end and and it's got all kinds it's it's smooth but in some places there's roughness and so obviously what's going on is every single one of these children have had an experience a true authentic experience with the elephant and they're all right very instructive Yes. Very enlightening. I will just let that sit for a little while for folks. So moving along, I want to read three quotes from this first chapter as well. Just being ourselves is the biggest fear of humans. We have learned to live our lives trying to satisfy other people's demands. We have learned to live by other people's points of you because of the fear of not being accepted and not being good enough for someone else. During the process of domestication, we form an image of what perfection is in order to try to be good enough. We create an image of how we should be in order to be accepted by everybody. We know we are not what we believe we're supposed to be, and so we feel false, frustrated, and dishonest. Ever heard of imposter syndrome, by the way? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. We try to hide ourselves and pretend to be what we're not. 
The result is that we feel unauthentic and we wear social masks to keep others from noticing this. We are so afraid that somebody else will notice that we are not what we have pretended to be. We judge others according to our image of perfection as well. And naturally, when they fall short of our expectations, we then judge them. So these three paragraphs, this idea, this concept, Ray, did this stand out to you as a powerful statement when you first or read this book or in the many subsequent times that you've read it? Yes, and especially of late, I've been reflecting on all the the consciousness of, around trauma that people have now that's been so deeply discussed. I think a lot of it was triggered by a lot of the discussion was set in motion by the pandemic and people began to realize and think about what what is trauma? What does it mean to have been through a traumatic experience? How does it affect me and my emotions? And if you can stay with those thoughts and go a little deeper and go back to your childhood and remember when you were innocent and you were happy and you had very few, if any, preconceptions about how you needed to be in order to be happy, you begin to see how things got layered on you over the years. I'll speak for myself. Things were layered on me over the years. I had to behave a certain way. I I was a smart kid, so I had to be smart. I had to get good grades. I had to perform all these different tasks. I had to meet all these different agreements that I had made. Yes, I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to be a good young man. I'm going to be a good student, be a good provider, good father. I made all these agreements without really knowing I was doing it. But we reach a point in life later where now I look and say, man, I've got a lot of things I'm trying to do. I can never be as perfect as I think I should be. Mm. And that's, I, I think that's a common experience it's, it's a great deal of weight to carry. And I know that uh, this, this person that I follow said, you should come with me. My burden is light and my yoke is easy. I know that guy. And that's one of the chief things that attracted me to that guy to begin with, because I could use a light burden and an easy yoke. Yeah. And by the way, a fascinating thing that I learned about yoke, the word yoke as we have it today, and we read that, the original word, I think in Aramaic, is zugos, which can be translated to yoke, which is that device that in agriculture they would put two oxen together so that they would be in union with one another, in alignment, that they would walk together at the same pace through life. That is what yoke means, to be equally yoked with him. One of the other things that I've learned is that if you were to take the word zugos and translate it into Sanskrit, it could be yoke, could also be yoga. If one wanted to interpret that scripture in another way, Jesus very well made us, may have well said, for my yoga is easy, which Mm. would have been a whole different concept and understanding of what it meant for Jesus to teach his disciples how to pray. Hmm. Interesting. For my yoke or yoga, which, by the way, both of the words simply mean union, and in that context, union with God. And yoga, I've learned and discovered, 
is not just going and stretching and doing exercises at a fancy little yoga place. That is one of seven paths of yoga or union with divine, and that's called Hatha yoga. But I've studied a lot of other paths of yoga, and they're incredibly enlightening, and it's a fun exploration if you ever wanted to go and look up the seven paths of yoga. So just put that out there as a seed for anybody who might want to to plant it and see if it grows. All right, here's another quote from the first chapter. There are thousands of agreements you have made. Oh, wait, before I go to that, I want to be authentic and real for a second. Here's an agreement that I made a while back. And by the way, agreement, another way of saying agreement is a, it's something that has been said so many times. It's, it's a belief, it's a dream or an interpretation or it's a suggestion of something that's real. And then when I agree to that suggestion, I now have that as a belief. So mm-hmm. an agreement or a belief that I once had was that if you are thin at a specific body weight and you look a certain way physically, you are more credible You'll be more successful, people will respect you more, people will honor you more, and all of this other stuff. I've had that agreement or belief since I was a child, ever since in, I think it was sixth grade, when a friend of mine, I won't say his name, without knowing it, said something to me, and we'll get into the impeccability of your word, but he did not realize what he was doing, what what seed he planted when he said, Cliff, it looks like you got the Dunlap disease. Mm. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, it looks like your belly's Dunlapped over your belt. Yeah. And from that point, I agreed with him. As a result of that focus and that concern and that self-judgment, I began to see myself as a fat kid. And then I became a fat young adult. And then I became a fat adult. And I also agreed with a lot of people's judgments of other people who were, let's just say, way more obese than I am. And I'm like, you know, it's like, oh, wow, of course I'm with you. And I'm like, yeah, that that person, is that's just unhealthy. And I'm judging them and judge not lest you be judged in the, the measure you judge someone. Measure for measure, it will be judged back for you. And I did not realize that that judgment that is going to be coming back for me, measure for measure, is from me. Mm-hmm. And so I've went through this entire lifetime judging myself for how overweight I had been. And I was convinced that as the podcast answer man, you and many people who are listening to this know my story, as podcast answer man, nobody's going to make a decision to hire me to teach them the technical aspects of what it takes to create and build a successful podcast based upon what my physical appearance is. So I was able to generate millions of dollars in revenue as an online business owner as the podcast answer man. In 2015, when I decided I'm getting bored with this, I'd like to talk to people about things that matter more. I, how can I do that when I feel like such a fraud because I am so overweight, I weigh almost 300 pounds, I'm so unhealthy, I have no credibility, and, and so I have all of these agreements about what this weight around my physical frame, this body, means and what I am able to achieve in this world, my value that I have to offer the world, and my worthiness to speak to somebody and have their attention based upon my physical appearance. Now, because I had that belief and I wanted so strongly to have all of that credibility, you know the story, Ray. 
I began a journey. It was um, November 2014. I made a massive shift. I started working out six days a week, every week, said I was gonna do it for the rest of my life, and over the course of the next year and a half, I dropped 100 pounds of body fat, put on 30 pounds of muscle, and when I finally got under 200 pounds, I said to the world, guys, I have learned so much about mindset. I am now worthy of your attention. I can tell you how I did this. I'm going to help you be successful as well. I am going to, and by the way, you will never see a day where this guy will ever be 200 pounds again. And do you know what I was doing, Ray? I was propagating that belief that being overweight or this physical appearance means that you're less valuable, less credible, And I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. I maintained it for several years. I got all the way down to 180. I I was started at 300. I got all the way down to 180 pounds. And I maintained that for a while. And then the pandemic happened. I'm not sure if you are familiar with the fact some things got closed down around the world. Have you heard about this? I heard somebody talking about this. Yeah. So this is a big deal. Yeah. And so for me, I had become a self-proclaimed gym rat. That was a part of my identity. By the way, some agreements about who I am. I'm now a guy who spends one to two, sometimes as much as three hours in the gym. Not because I feel like I have to, but I love it. This is my life. You have no idea what it's like to be surrounded with these people who have these same goals, and I'm listening to audio content that is profoundly shaping the way that I see the world in a profound way. I go to the gym every day, and that's how I was doing all of this stuff. I eat a certain way, and then the pandemic takes the gym away from me, I'm sitting there watching this news story every day about what's going on and the fear and and I didn't see it then but I I looking back 2020 I see how my level of consciousness I got stuck into the fear and I started to emotionally eat and got triggered into some old patterns and Ray over the course of from 2020 until now I'm over 200 pounds again and when it came time for me to go to social media marketing world this year I almost didn't go because I was afraid of what other people would think about me knowing how publicly I made that a part of my identity, my belief, my agreements of what this means. Now, it's one thing to think that I would I would not have the credibility if I had this and didn't do anything about it, but now that I did it and I did this and I had this success and and then and now they see me And boy, to say that I had to overcome a lot of self-judgment based upon those agreements is a massive understatement. But I did the work and I was able to do it, thankfully, because of what I've experienced over the last several years. Any commentary on that? Yeah, we we spend so much time worrying about what other people think of us. And the fact is, mostly other people don't think of us. (laughs) That's not all the learning to get from that, but that's... That's a big part of it. The other part of it is, what about the few who do? Do you give a lot of weight to their opinion? Oh, and we're going to get into that, aren't we? Yeah. So let me just read this, and then it will introduce us to the four agreements. So if we can see that it is our agreements that rule our own life, and we don't like the dream of our life, We need to change the agreements. When we are finally ready to change our agreements, there are four very powerful agreements that will help us to break those agreements that came from fear, 
and that deplete us of our energy. If you think about the word of grievance, I'm going to just say this in another way and I'm going to replace the word. If we can see that it is our beliefs that rule our life and we don't like the dream of our life or the belief system that we currently have, we need to change our beliefs. When we are finally ready to change our beliefs about what should be and what's right, what's wrong, there are four powerful beliefs or agreements that you can make today that will help you to break from those belief systems and that are depleting you of all of your life force energy. So, Ray, are you ready for the four agreements? I'm ready. All right, the first one is be impeccable with your word. Sounds easy, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I found this almost maddeningly difficult to do. Fortunately, I don't hold myself to the standard of doing it perfectly anymore, as we'll discuss, I'm sure, in a few moments. Being impeccable with your word, the first time I read this, I thought it just meant don't lie, which Mm -hmm. is true, but there's so much more to it. Being impeccable with my word to me means I don't say things that cause suffering. Now, if you think about that, that covers a lot of things I used to say. And one of the things he talks about in the book extensively, which I was already, I already realized was a huge problem, is gossip. And if you think about what, what is gossip, it's judgmental talk about other people. And we come back to that reciprocal principle in the universe, judge not lest you be judged. So your, your lack of impeccability, your lack of integrity with your word follows you. I have become free of so much suffering just because of this one agreement or one belief. I constantly, people who are close to me know I'm always stopping and pausing and saying, wait, I need to be impeccable with my word here. This is what I need to say. It's made me very conscious of the words that come out of my mouth because the tongue holds the power of life and death. Those are a few thoughts I have on this. Yeah. The word impeccable, when he talks about it in the book, one of the things he says is, well, first let's talk about what does the word impeccable mean. Mm. And he talks about the root word, uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head right now, but it's peccus something. And anyway, it means the word sin. And the M in front of it means without. So be without sin with your word. Yeah. And sin, the way he describes it, and from his way of putting it forward, suggesting, is sin would be anything that you do against yourself or others. Don't do, and it's kind of, that, that in, in a way, that would be causing suffering. So it, it's in alignment with what Ray is saying as well. So don't say anything with your word, either verbally or even in your mind, that we, sometimes we forget about we're using our word, the power of our creative word in our mind. It, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's the world that it's the word that brought everything that exists today into existence. And here we are creating things with our word, literally creating things. And, and I do mean it literally creating yeah. things with our words. I'll give you a perfect example of this for me. So when I publish something on social media, just to give you an example, let's just say I'm hanging out on Facebook, and all of a sudden somebody sees something that I posted and they leave a comment. Now I have no reference of this, I've never seen this person's name before in my life, 
And so I have no reference point, nothing, there is nothing that I know of this person. All I know is what I've just read from this comment. And it's a very pleasant comment. Wow, Cliff, thank you so much for this. I totally agree. Here's how that relates to me. And thank you for sharing this. this. What a perfect moment. I needed to hear this today. With somebody that I've never met before, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love that I, I just had this experience with this person, and, and I'm chatting back, oh, thank you so much, I'm thrilled, blah, 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 and, and I'm, I'm eager to see what, how this may lead into an ongoing, meaningful relationship through life. And of course, there are some people that I've heard of before, and the people that I know have said wonderful things about this person, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm honored that a person of such high caliber would respond here. Whoa, I feel really good about myself, and I, oh my gosh, let me thank this person immediately. Whoa, wow, it's such an honor. I'm thrilled that you're loving my content. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But here's what I've noticed, I'm aware of, that has been triggered within me. There is a person that over the last 15 years... I've heard nothing but gossip about how this person is this or that. And they're all these negative attributes. And I've heard these things from multiple different people, people that I love. And I've heard these stories and I've never thought that I agreed with them. It's like, okay, that's just gossip. Except for the fact this person occasionally comments on my post. And I'm like, oh, it's her again. I'm like, what? And the comments are, Cliff, wow, this is so great. Thank you for introducing me to this. This is powerful. I needed this today. I was just praying, and and this is an answer to God's prayer. And I'm like, oh, but that's just so-and-so. And And I'm like, where is that coming from? And it's because I, and I'm, because of this, somebody else's word planted seeds in my my being, in my mind, and at the time, this is something he talks about, the fertile, you know, it depends on what will grow in your mind based upon what your mind is fertile for. And at the time, I did not know about emotional intelligence. I did not know about levels of consciousness. And And what I know now is I was in a very low level of consciousness when I began to hear these things. And when I began to hear those things, they got planted and other thoughts and experiences and judgments allowed me to fertilize that. Those thoughts about that person took root and are very much like big, huge, flourishing vines within my mind. Such that every time I see that person's name, I am now immediately drawn to the poison that was introduced through someone else's word. And that's why we should not gossip. Mm-hmm. I've come to a point where I do my best not only to not gossip, but to stop it when it begins happening in my presence. And I have a very sophisticated technique. I say, hold on. This sounds like gossip. I don't want to hear it. I appreciate that. I was in a coaching conversation with a client the other day, and this person said, you know, my son's getting married, and his mother-in-law is a very negative person. She's always looking at the wrong things and always, you know, pointing out what's wrong and blah, blah, blah. It's like, let me ask you a question. Is that true? And he's like, what? I said, is it true that your son's mother-in-law is a genuinely negative person? He's like, 
I never really thought about that. I said, well, you said it pretty convincingly. I'd love to, I'd love to delve into that a little deeper. And so we got into the conversation. I said, is it possible that your son's mother-in-law is a divine spiritual being here having a human experience, but through the course of her life, she's had some experiences that allows her to see the world through a different filter than maybe what you've experienced through your lifetime? He's like, wow, I never thought about it that way. I said, hmm, interesting. So let me ask you this. Is your son's mother-in-law an extremely negative person? No, she's not. I said, is there any examples in her life where she's looked at the positive and she's a very encouraging, lovely woman? Well, yeah. Huh. Interesting. And we just, we went on from there. And it didn't, I, it, it was only a month later when we had a, another call right after that. He's like, Cliff, you totally rocked my world last month when you brought this up. And he's like, I, I, I can't believe how many people I've been judging this way. Nicely done. Elegantly performed. I've learned through some great examples of coaching and and it's it, by the way I love it when my coaches that I've worked with I say things out out of my mouth comes this poison and I didn't even realize and and I love it when it's like is that true Cliff? Well no it's not. And, and you notice I almost put po- I always I almost took one of those little you know you know in the spy movies it's like let's I'm going to take this cyanide pill and I'm going to commit suicide right here in front of everybody. You know, because I almost said, I'm a terrible reader. I, I, don't, I, I have a hard time reading. It wasn't so bad. It was great, actually. It was it, really great. The fi- the, the, let me ask you this. I can tell you right now that Five Blind Sons of the Elephant Driver, it wasn't exactly the way I heard it. I don't even think I got to the fifth one. I th- I'm pretty sure I missed the big, huge, it's a big, huge this, the body guy. But it's still, the, the story came across. But I noticed in real time. I was about ready to introduce poison about myself that I'm not going to get this story right and you should probably look it up and get it better somewhere else. Huh. I'm glad you didn't do that. Impeccable with your words. So this is what we're talking about. So he says, when you're impeccable, you take responsibility for your actions, but you do not judge or blame yourself. So you take responsibility for what you're, what you're being in the world You take responsibility, but you don't judge or blame yourself. Being impeccable with your word is the correct use of your energy. It means to use your energy in the direction of truth and love for yourself. If you make an agreement with yourself to be impeccable with your word, just with that intention, the truth will manifest through you and clean out all of the emotional poison that exists within you. Your opinion is nothing but your point of view. It is not necessarily a true. Your opinion comes from your beliefs, your own ego, and your dream. And then the last thing I'll read here, impeccability of the word will also give you immunity from anyone putting a negative spell on you. And by the way, words are magic. And you get to choose by being impeccable with your word using what we call white magic. And if you gossip, you are using black magic. And we all know that's not the best use of your energy. Or at least that's a belief. And you could agree with it if you want to. And for which I do agree. (laughs) I love it. When you become impeccable with your word, your mind is no longer fertile ground for words that come from black magic. 
Instead, it is fertile for the words that come from love. You can measure the impeccability of your word by the level of self-love. How much you love yourself and how you feel about yourself are directly proportionate to the quality and integrity of your word. That is the first agreement. All right, the second agreement, don't take anything personally. Ray, lay it on us. Oh my goodness. I used to be so skilled at taking things personally. I still can do it. I still have the abilities I developed as a child. Everything from the phone rings and interrupts a conversation. So I'm angry with the person who called because they interrupted my conversation. I'm taking it personally. The virus runs rampant in the world. And because of that, I can't go and do the things I want to do. I can't travel to the places I want to travel to. I took that personally. So many things. The person in front of me is not driving fast enough. I take that personally. They they get in front of me and they start driving slower. I take that personally. And the fact is, I shouldn't, uh, I won't won't use that word. I don't desire. I don't desire to take it personally. And something that occurred to me not long ago that has really shaped my, my thoughts on this. Whatever is happening that I'm taking personally, whatever it is, whether it's something somebody says or it's an event that happened in the external world around me, that instant, that moment has nothing to do with me. Even if they're speaking to me at that moment, it has nothing to do with me at all. Because think about how big the universe is, how tiny we are in comparison to how big it is, and how many other moments are happening all over the universe, all over creation. Those moments have nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with me. There's a star called Betelgeuse, and it's consuming energy and producing light and and heat. It has nothing to do with me. What makes me think that the thing that's happening on the corner of the street where I live has anything to do with me either? It doesn't. I, I know this probably sounds abstract, but this realization that I'm not the center of the universe unless I am, but I'm not the center of the universe the things that are happening are not intended, they're not directed toward me. And especially with other people, it's the same thing that we were talking about earlier. We worry about what people think of us. Generally, people are not thinking of us at all. They're thinking of themselves more often than not. So not being worried about what other people think of you is also another level of understanding that I don't need, need to take things so personally. Yeah. I want to share two areas where I resonate with this one. It was 2020, right before the pandemic. You and I were at Social Media Marketing World. That event was the first time where I decided, you know what? I always go to the zoo. I spend an extra day at the zoo, either before or following Social Media Marketing World. I had this crazy idea that I would invite somebody. If they wanted to, they could invest $5,000 and walk with me for eight hours through the San Diego Zoo. Such a deal. Yeah, and that's what I thought. In fact, I talked about it publicly, and I said, listen, I normally charge $15,000 if you wanted to come and travel to my home and spend a day with me here, but for only $5,000, we get to actually walk through sunny San Diego Zoo and just have this incredible time of eight hours of uninterrupted, undistracted mentoring, if you're interested. And my thinking is that this would be somebody who's already at the event who's going to tack on an extra day, and this would be something. And if, if nobody takes this, no big deal. I'll just have the day to listen to some audiobooks. That's what I typically would do. I knew for a fact that when I did this, 
because I've been in business long enough that some people do think about me, Ray. I don't, I don't know about you, but some people do think about me. And some of those people are criticizing a lot of the things I do or say. Here is an example of that. A one-star rating in iTunes with the title, A Ride into Ego and Overpricing. And here's the written review. Cliff used to be so informative and helpful on a journey to establish a podcast, but he threw that entire business model out the window in order to copy the Tony Robbins business model. I'd call him the poor man's Tony Robbins, but when he wants $5,000 to hang out with him at the San Diego Zoo for eight hours or $15,000 to work one-on-one with him in his home in Kentucky, you quickly get the feeling Cliff has fallen into a self-absorption fueled by an ego that few will rival. Wow. (laughs) Is that true? It is definitely true for him. This triggered me for just a moment. But by this time, this particular individual, so I know who this is, has triggered me so many times. And the only way this person can trigger me is by having a button that he can push that causes the release of the trigger mechanism within me. And I realize if I take the button away, he can't press it anymore. So that's what this whole idea about not taking anything personally. So here's what I learned, and I did a blog post on this a while back. You will often be criticized and judged by others. I'm happy to share that I'm a fully recovered former people pleaser. I chose to learn the hard way that no matter how much effort I put in, I'll never be able to make everyone love me. I have discovered that first. How I'm perceived by another person is 100% controlled by that other person's quote-unquote model of the world or their dream, if you will. It is their beliefs about life and how it quote-unquote ought to be that determines their reaction to what I do or say. Another person's judgment about what I'm doing or saying is a reflection of that person's beliefs and values and it is not a reflection of me as a person. I can't put off living my own dreams just so that other people will not feel inadequate around me. There is no value in shrinking back from creating the life I feel called to live. Moving forward with my dreams in spite of potential criticism and judgment might encourage and inspire other people to do the same and have the power to turn their dreams into reality, freeing them from the fear of how they might be perceived by others. So that's this whole thing of do not take it personally. And then recently, Ray, had a client that he came on board, he has this professional experience, wanted to turn his business into full-time self-employed coaching lifestyle, has a massive community, everything's in place, and we just, we're all talking business, we're all talking online strategy, we're all talking this, and he made some assumptions about who I am as a person based upon content he's heard, you know, and content he's heard in the past publicly has been a lot of this is Cliff and he's been an associate pastor and he believes these things. And that's the, that is the old version of what I put out and that's who I was. And I believed those things at the time, but it never, in our few times of conversation and coaching before I made a proposal for him to join the next level mastermind for a year, what I believe today never really came into our conversations. So this person agreed to pay $15,000 over the course of one year to be in the Next Level Mastermind. He made his first two payments, things are going great, he's making all this success, and then in a hot seat, 
just one week before his third payment was going to be coming out, somebody else came in and says, hey, guys, back in 1987, I was in Nepal. I went to a two-week Buddhist retreat, and I experienced these things. And ever since then, this has been what I've been interested in. I'd like to ask each of you, how do you perceive God? And what do you think about this thing called the law of attraction? And he says, I'm genuinely interested in anyone and everyone's approach. And so there's two Christians in the group. There's one atheist. There's one Buddhist. And there's one new age person. And we're all going to have this conversation. And it was an incredible conversation. And when it came my turn, which I went last, I had the opportunity to filter myself to be unauthentic. I could have said things that would definitely keep me from crossing any lines with anybody else in the group. But I did share authentically my experiences over the last three years. I felt that, hey, I want to share with you what I've experienced and not in a way that I disagree with anything else. I'm not mad about my past or anything of that, but I shared that. The very next day, I get an email that says, Cliff, I've had some financial issues. I'm leaving the group. Please cancel my membership immediately. And I said, well, first of all, if you're having financial issues, I'd love to offer you two 90-minute complimentary sessions. Knowing everything I know about you, I will write the email. All you have to do is put your, your name at the end of it. I know for a fact you'll be able to pay for the remainder of your year with one email. Absolutely. And if, if that doesn't happen for you, then absolutely you owe me nothing. But if your decision to drop out of the group has something to do with what we discussed in yesterday's hot seat, I hope you'd be honest with me. And I said, would you like to schedule one of those complimentary calls? He says, Cliff, thank you. I'd like to cancel my subscription. Even if I were not having the financial situation that I'm having, what came up yesterday would have given me pause to continue in the group. Now, mm. I could have taken that personally, and some other members of my family might have, <laughs> but I didn't. I said, wow, I, I totally get this. I understand this. And if, if I, if 10 years ago, if I were you and I made this commitment and that I was confronted with that conversation out of the blue, I also would have requested to break the agreement. I might have actually been honest about the reason for it, but that again is another judgment and I don't judge him for that either. But that is what it means to not take things personally. The third agreement, don't make assumptions. Any thoughts, Ray? It's so easy to assume we know why people do what they do or why things happen the way they happen. And I have been wrong so often that this one really, all four agreements have been very powerful in my life. This one probably, I was going to say the most powerful, but I can't, they, they all work together. This not making assumptions is so important. And especially, I, I seem to always go back to the relationships with other people. Before I even read this book, somebody told me once, never assume you know another person's motivation for what they're doing. Another way I've heard it expressed is never attribute evil intent to another person because most people don't think of themselves as a, as a villain that has come into your life to do something evil to you. They think what they're doing is right. So attribute to them at least good intent. So I have found not making assumptions to be, I can say this, the most difficult of the four agreements for me 
personally in the, in the most recent times to wrestle with because I started noticing how often I still make assumptions. I make assumptions when Tucker Carlson comes on television. I know what he's going to say. I know why he's going to say it. I've been wrong. I make assumptions about why my wife says something to me in a tone of voice. She says it to me in, and I was wrong just this morning. So I, I don't, I haven't mastered any four, any of these four agreements, but I am in the practice of mastery of all four of them. And this one is the one I think I'm doing the most work on right now. If I can walk through my life, not making assumptions, it saves me so much strife and energy that I can redirect to other things that are to me more useful and more pleasant. Where this has shown up for me is I do a lot of coaching. I get paid an incredibly worthy amount for the amount of time that I invest in people during our coaching sessions. And one of the things that I learned early on in those coaching sessions is somebody would ask me a question and I would make an assumption as to why they're asking that question. And then I would go down a path and I would tell a story and stuff like that only to learn after my monologue that, no, Cliff, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. well, please tell me more. Been there, done that. So one of the things that I'm learning to do in this don't make assumptions is and. I'm going to give credit to Rick Lindberg from Stockholm, Sweden. He's been in the Next Level Mastermind all the way since November 2017. And recently, he talked about the most important thing you could do as a coach is to never assume why somebody is asking you a question. So even if you think you know what why they're asking that question, either ask yourself, why is this person asking that question? And if you don't know, ask more questions. Gain clarity. So here's what I heard you asking. And right now, as I'm listening to this, my perception is that you are asking this because you want to experience this or you want me to give you this response. Is that correct? And the number of times, now, I get it right a lot, but the number of times where they're like, no, Cliff, that's not what I meant. What I meant is this. And I'm like, okay, so you want this? Yes, Oh, well, that takes us down a whole different path in this conversation. And wow, what an incredibly powerful way to have an experience of not making assumptions. Now, just imagine that in the conversation with my wife, the conversation with my children, the conversation with anyone else on this planet. So communicate clearly, ask questions. And the other thing about don't make assumptions is I want to make sure that other people aren't making assumptions about me. So I want to make sure that I'm doing my best to be impeccable with my word to communicate clearly what I want so that it's not left for assumption what my desired intention is or what my desired results are that I'm going after. Before Ray and I started this episode, before we went and hit the record button, I said, Ray, here's what we're going to do. This is the outline of the show. And by the way, this is what I hope will happen after this. Are you on board with this? So I didn't want Ray to assume what my intentions were. I, I, I communicated it clearly. So don't make assumptions. Love that. I love the fact you communicated all that to me before we started. It becomes obvious the further we dig into this, how the four agreements are inextricable from one another. They work together. Absolutely. The fourth agreement, by the way, is always do your best. And one of my favorite things about this is that you're always doing your best. And your best changes 
with every situation, every circumstance, at every different point within the day. Yeah, it doesn't mean always do the best you've ever done in your entire life. Or what you're capable of. Right. It means do the best you can do right now. And how freeing is it if you were to hear what we're about ready to suggest, or I'm about ready to suggest, and if you were to agree with this, it could become a belief for you that I am always doing the best I can with what I have to work with. Mm. Given the situation, given the circumstance, given all of my programming, given everything that is what this moment is, I am always doing my best. And that's my commitment. Wow. So I want to, I put these in affirmation form. You know, it's, it's be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't t- make assumptions. Always do your best. So what I did is I went into my affirmation file, Ray, and I want to read to you these, how I put them in my affirmations in my own voice. So number one, I am impeccable with my word. I speak with integrity. I am honest. I use my words to spread love and positivity. I avoid gossip and speaking negatively about others or myself. Number two, I don't take anything personally. I understand that people's actions and words are a reflection of their own reality, not mine. How I'm perceived by another person is 100% controlled by that person's model of the world. It is their beliefs about life and how it ought to be that determine their reaction to the things that I do or say. Another person's judgment about what I'm doing or saying is a reflection of that person's beliefs and values and is not a reflection of who I am as a person. By not taking things personally, I avoid unnecessary suffering and emotional turmoil. Number three. I don't make assumptions. I communicate clearly and openly to avoid misunderstandings. I am not afraid to ask questions to gain clarity. I express what I truly want. By not making assumptions, I can create better relationships and avoid conflicts. And number four, I always do my best. I recognize that my best will vary from moment to moment, depending on my circumstances and my energy levels or level of consciousness. By always doing my best, I can avoid self-judgment, regret, and guilt. And those, my friends, are the four agreements. Ray, I love you, brother. I love you. So, questions from Wes. I want to throw these in here real quickly. He said, what are some common misconceptions or misunderstandings about the four agreements? And I was wondering, I wonder why Wes is asking these questions. So I asked him and he says, well, the question about misconceptions came up because when I mentioned the book you recommended to me, The Four Agreements, to someone, they seemed skeptical about the topic. And he was wondering, how does this transfer to religious beliefs that they currently hold? So that's where the question came up. So I think we covered that at the beginning of this. This is all about questioning your belief systems. And it's about confronting how did you develop your agreements and what you believe. That's my feeling. Do you have any additional thoughts on that beyond what we said? I agree with that. And I also think it's not necessary that you, if you're a fundamentalist Christian, it's not necessary that you deconstruct your beliefs if you read this book. You can read this book and take from it what works for you. And I promise there's lots that could work for you very well and be okay, in my opinion. So I would suggest thinking about the fact, is it okay if you read a book and it helps you? And 
you don't have to call your beliefs into question. I may choose to continuously question my own beliefs. You don't have to. It's up to you. Yeah. It's not essential, number one, that you ever tell anybody that you're reading this book. You don't have to go recommending it to people and telling people that you're reading books that you know might cause some controversy in relationships where people become concerned about you and write you emails like they wrote me a couple years ago and continue right. to is write it, me and, will, and will write me after they hear this episode. Is it possible that people might make assumptions about you that are not true just because you told them you read this book? Yeah. I think that's possible. Yeah. And this book, if you do read it, might help you to not take that personally. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. He says, what are your favorite real life situations? I think we covered a lot of that. How would you adjust the four agreements to be adapted to or suited to fit different personalities, lifestyles, and cultural backgrounds? I would say I would use the four agreements as they are to help you shift some things into a being in alignment with who you feel you most want to be in this world. Yes. And then which agreement resonates most deeply with you? And I'm pretty sure I know what Ray's answer is going to be, but I, I don't think I could take one without the other. I believe that as well. I, I can't take one without, it seems, I want to be impeccable with my word here. It seems difficult to take one of them without taking all four of them. However, I will say that it's true for me that the agreement that resonates with me most deeply is be impeccable with your word. Words are a huge part of my, well, it's true. I think this is true for all of us. Huge part of my life, my existence. I was raised to believe that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that by the word, God created the heavens and the earth. And I mean, my company slogan is change your words, change your world. So yeah. is it a surprise? By the way, Ray, have you read The Fifth Agreement? Yes. All right. So just real quickly, we're not going to go into dialogue about this one, but The Fifth Agreement is a whole separate book. It summarizes the four agreements for those who may not have read the original book. The Fifth Agreement, and I'm going to just give you two real quickly in my affirmation format. I am skeptical, but I have learned to listen, quote unquote, keep an open mind. I question everything I hear especially my own thoughts and beliefs. By being skeptical, I avoid accepting ideas and beliefs blindly. At the same time, I've learned to listen with an open mind, which allows me to understand and discern the truth from various different perspectives. I agree with this agreement. I love it. Hey, Ray, real quickly, you know about Free the Dream Workshop over at freethedreamworkshop.com. You spoke at Free the Dream 2018 and Free the Dream 2019, the conference. Yes. You know about the community. You know about the message of, of this platform. After COVID, we shut down live conferences, and you and I have both been to conferences since COVID, and the number of people who are attending these is about a third or a quarter of what they used to be. And I was not yet profitable with the first two events as far as a financial standpoint. So Stephanie and I have decided to bring Free the Dream back, but we're doing it as a workshop for no more than 30 individuals. We're going to cover the same Free the Dream core message as I taught there, but Stephanie and I are going to go much deeper. And we're even going to have meaningful dialogue and conversations about material like this. 
if somebody's out there, they're struggling with this whole idea of being impeccable with my words, speaking the value of who I am, judging myself, judging others, feeling like an imposter, worrying about what other people think about me. I'm afraid to put this marketing message out. I feel like I'm emailing my audience too much and they're going to hate me. I'm afraid because of the economy, I'm going to have to shut down my business because everybody knows how hard it is to succeed right now and all of this other stuff. That's going through the minds of a lot of people who listen to my show. And I, you're an expert marketer. What would you say to somebody to convince them to go to freethedreamworkshop.com and sign up for this event? I would say to you, if you are hesitating about this decision, that I would stop hesitating and make the decision and go to the Free the Dream Workshop because I know Cliff, I've known him for over a decade. I know his heart. I know his ethics. I know how committed he is to helping the people who come to him for help. And I don't believe there's any event you could go to and receive a more immersive environment and a more supportive system of help and a more likely probability of your success than if you went to Free the Dream with Cliff and Stephanie. I think this is an enormous value. I think it's fortunate for you, the person who's deciding to go, that circumstances have created a situation where you can be with a small group of people an intimate environment with Cliff and Stephanie and walk through this process and literally create the life you want to experience. So just go. Awesome. Do it. Ray, I love you so much, my friend. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. RayEdwards.com. Go check out his podcast. Subscribe to his email newsletter. Follow everything Ray does. He is such an incredible human being. I wouldn't be the person I am today if it were not for his influence in my life. Ray, I love you. Thank you very much. I love you as well. And until next time, we both encourage you to take everything you do to the next level. Mindset and Hey, I'm glad you're still here. At the end, I wanted to first and foremost tell you that if you have not yet gone to freethedreamworkshop.com to register for your seat, please go do that now. Go ahead. Matter of fact, stop this for just a moment and come back and hit play after you've gone to freethedreamworkshop.com. You do not want to miss this upcoming workshop. Also, I wanted to speak personally, just you and I, for just a moment and share with you how much I have desired to bring to you the type of content that has been shared in this episode. And I have tipped my toes into the water. And if you were to look back into the archives, there was a podcast episode, Does Your Path Have a Heart?, And I shared a quote or a couple of quotes from a book. And I had shared just how controversial this author is and all this other stuff. And I have experienced a significant shift in the way that I see the world, in the way that I believe about the world, in the way that I believe about God, in the way that I believe about my relationship with God. It has done nothing in my mind except for strengthen my relationship with Jesus and the God of the Bible. But very openly, I want to tell you that I have an incredible amount of respect 
and love and compassion and joy for those who are now my friends from all over the globe, who are Hindus, Buddhists, Sikhs, New Age spiritual folks, shamans, and every other faith tradition. Muslims, I should put that in there. There are about three Muslims that I'm friends with that I have such an incredible amount of respect for them. And I believe who I am today that we all essentially are experiencing the same one God, just like the five blind children of the elephant driver. And yet, I know that I was like one of those children for a while. No, 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 everyone else is wrong. This is the experience. This is the one true Holy Scripture that says it all. And I gotta tell you, the fact that I've expanded my belief system and have opened my mind to the fact that others also have unique perspectives and experiences and also truth about the big elephant in the sky. <laughs> I think you understand what I mean, and I'm not being disrespectful by any net. Anyway, you get the idea. So, but to share this, I know that in the past, I had held so much condemnation and judgment for people who believed things other than the way that I believed things from the Bible's perspective. And it's interesting because back in the day, I remember reading the scripture, do not judge others. For when you judge another, the measure for which you judge them, measure for measure, you will be judged at that level. And, well, back in my most zealous days of what I believed, anytime anyone would introduce concepts or ideas that did not seem to be in alignment with my understanding of what the Bible says, and the Bible's the only truth, I used to condemn those people to their face. I would speak negatively to others about them, aka gossip, saying that you might want to stay away from that person. I was even taught, and I accepted, and I lived out putting people out of my fellowship. In fact, I could even argue the biblical principle for doing so. That this person, the best thing I can do if I truly love them is for them to come to their senses is to excommunicate them from my life and to have nothing to do with them. And so because of that judgment, I recognize now, today, as you can hear, and I've expressed to you openly, finally, here in the Cliff Ravenscraft Show, authentically bearing my heart to who I am today that my beliefs are not what they once were. And to tell you that over the last several years, and especially at the beginning, that I was filled with worry, anxiety about the fact that this would turn you off, that you would want to, number one, send me all the emails to let me know just how far off down the path and, and all this other stuff, but some might actually 
decide to leave me, people who might have thought about hiring me for products and services, coaching, mastermind groups, coming into workshops and all this other stuff, that this all of a sudden changes everything. It's like, I want nothing to do with him. He's just yet another person who once believed this, he was introduced to this, and he's just like all these other people who have now gone down this heretical path. And there's been a fear that there'd be a campaign against it. And I'm like, wait a second. This is not the life that God has called me to live. This is not the example that Jesus gave. If I look at the people who Jesus spent the most time with, especially one-on-one, we hear stories of, of all sorts of folks who would have been stoned to death, put out of fellowship, avoided at all cost. Jesus spent a lot of time with those folks. And he's also spent a lot of time with me over these last three years. Well, he spent a lot of time with me in the 50 years I've walked this earth. In my Train With Cliff audio journal program over the last three and a half years, I have been very open there in a personal paid product podcast that only people who truly want to know what's going on in Cliff's personal and professional and maybe even spiritual life, you can learn about that at trainwithcliff.com. But I've been sharing some of this stuff there. Sometimes more than others, depends on my own, what we call level of consciousness. I may actually come to an episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft show in the future talking to you about level of consciousness. Now that I've tore off this band-aid and I've outed myself for who I am today in this episode, I, I see all sorts of powerful content that I could share in the future that I believe perfectly is in alignment with the teachings of Jesus, but maybe not necessarily with what I was taught about those teachings. So it'll be interesting to see what, if any, of that comes about in this show. But what I wanted to tell you is that I have felt this nudge that maybe my show is not for everyone. And some are going to hang out for two or three or four more episodes and kind of see how it goes. They may ultimately, eventually unsubscribe and have nothing to do with me. One of the things that I've come to is I definitely will not take that personally at all. And and I have no judgment of those people. I, In fact, with their belief systems as they are, which I once had that belief system, it's the right thing to do to be in alignment with who you are and what you believe. And so I appreciate that about them. But here's something that I've been feeling, this nudging. When I go to my journaling, when I sit in my meditation, one of the reasons why I felt compelled to finally come out and just just open this up and just share with you authentically, Cliff's changed a lot (laughs) in his beliefs. I may not fit your definition of what you've always been taught as a Christian. I still consider myself to be a follower of Christ. I spend an amazing amount of time with Jesus in quiet contemplative prayer, in meditation, communion with him, in union, yoked if you want, or even in a form of yoga. Raha yoga, to be exact. It stands for royal yoga. It's the royal path, and it is a path of union with God through scientific meditation. And I may talk about that at some point in the future. It's one of the seven paths, and I've been playing with all of the seven, all of the paths that lead to union with God. I believe it's bhakti yoga, by the way, which is what the Bible is, in essence, demonstrating, which is devotion 
the version of Christianity that I've grown up with is a yogic path. It's called bhakti yoga. You can look it up. Since I've experienced that autobiography of a yogi book, which was back in 2020, I think I started it in August of 2020. Since then, this whole being open to explore what have people around the planet of all ages understood. I want to meet all of the blind children of God who have touched and experienced many of the various aspects of God, and I want to hear about that from all of their perspectives. I've been reading and studying and learning and speaking with people who are Hindu, Buddhist, Taoists, Stoics. I've been talking with Muslims. I have been talking with shamans. I've been talking with Druids. I have been reading countless books. I even hired a spiritual New Age coach for six months just to explore what it is that that path is all about. I am still firmly, in my mind, connected to Christ, to Jesus What I recognized and the nudging in my prayer and meditation is being unauthentic, not sharing who I am today and how I've evolved in what I believe. And I'm not saying I've evolved beyond the others and and that I'm a further advanced evolution. I believe that the bhakti path of fundamentalist Christianity is an incredibly powerful path of union with God. I just no longer believe it's the only path. And I recognize that that will immediately eliminate me from having further influence in the lives of some people. And I appreciate that. I know why that is, and I make no judgment. I don't take it personally. But here's why I've been feeling this nudge. Inside my heart, my intuition, maybe there's a lot of other people since the pandemic that all of a sudden recognize that it's it may be time to call into question about all of these things that we always thought were true. Maybe there are some people in my community who have witnessed things and have seen a different way of seeing the world, and it took out the foundational beliefs of what they always believed to be true. For the past three and a half years, my life has been devoted to studying all spiritual paths and also to find out how can I be who I feel most called to be in this world? How can I experience God? How can I be one with everyone that I meet? How can I not judge anyone? How can I accept them? And I'm not perfect. I'm not mastered this, but I have had experiences, and there's an old episode of the Cliff Ravenscraft Show from several years ago with a Muslim, with an Indian Sikh, with a New Age person, and two Christians who are, me being one of them, who are open to the idea that there are multiple paths beyond the bhakti path of devotion to Jesus. And that was an that was the first time I put it's like I can't even believe I put that out there. But when I put that out there, that was me tipping my toe in the water. I'm like, ooh, I don't know, I'm afraid. And I didn't realize just how much fear was still inside of me at that time. 
Since then, I, I study somewhere no less than one hour a day and sometimes as much as three to five hours per day reading ancient manuscripts, ancient wisdom of all sorts of people. And, and this has been my devotion over the last three years. And on top of that, and along with that, is been studying quantum physics. I've been studying the science of psychology and personality, how the brain works, neuroscience, the self-improvement of how to change behavior, Tony Robbins materials, all this other stuff, and the experiences that I've been having in my one-on-one coaching conversations, the experiences that I've been having in my mastermind group experiences, the experiences that I've had in any conversation with anyone has radically transformed, and it reminds me of a time when Jesus performed a miracle right there, and then the, and he said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, one day you will do even greater works than these. And I have been witness to God doing miracles in people's lives. And one of the things that I feel is that there might be a number of people who are recognizing, like, wait a second, maybe there's more to God, there's more to this world, there's more to this than what I've always believed to be true. And I don't want to invite anyone to question their beliefs about the world. But for those who are already questioning, who are already starting to wonder, and you've been afraid to talk to others about it, you've been afraid to bring this up to others because you might be judged for the books you're reading or the the conversations you're having with certain people, I want to let you know that I felt that I needed to come here and share who I am today, what I've been experiencing, and just open this up. Because if I don't, those of you who are meant to be the next people that God brings across my path where we might have conversations, whether it be one-on-one coaching, whether it be spending a year together in the Next Level Mastermind, or maybe you're going to come to my Free the Dream workshop to be your first interaction with me and Stephanie and a very small group of people freethedreamworkshop.com. But it was very clear that I just need to be who I am and recognize that some people will be repelled from what I believe today. Not that I'm going to do that intentionally, but it reminds me of 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. I'm going to quote this off the top of my head here. Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. And when people do come along, do so with gentleness and respect. And what I want to share with you as a final thought is that as a result of my spiritual growth, my coaching practice has become so much more diverse with clients from various religious backgrounds, including fundamentalist Christians, which was my background for the first 47 years of my life. Still consider myself a Christian today, but Orthodox Jews are now my clients. I have clients who are Buddhists, and I even have atheist clients and many other various backgrounds. In all instances, I've witnessed true miracles take place 
And I've been able to incorporate the tools and the techniques and strategies that I've learned about mindset and how to change our behavior and how to experience radical shifts in how we perceive and experience the world that are respectful of each client's beliefs without there being any need to deconstruct their own personal beliefs about God. I want to invite you to connect with me further, whether it's through one-on-one coaching, the Next Level Mastermind, an online course, my Train With Cliff audio program, or this upcoming Free The Dream Workshop. Head over to my website, cliffravenscraft.com, all of those opportunities listed right there. And let's continue our personal and professional growth journeys together with a strong emphasis on mindset development. I know here at the end of this, I've been talking about my evolution of my own spiritual path that does not have to be the focus of our journey together. I still focus on business mindset, personal life mindset, whatever you wanna work on, we can journey together. In this season of my professional life, I do tend to work mostly with full-time self-employed business owners, entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, speakers, influencers, digital course creators, and the like, and those who are also wanting to create this self-employed business ownership lifestyle, leaving a lifetime of being an employee behind. As we work together on your personal and business growth, if you're interested in discussing our spiritual lives together, I'm more than happy to do so. I can either work within your current system of beliefs about God, or if you desire, and only if desired, we can explore and expand our beliefs together. The choice is yours, and I'm here to support you in whatever path you choose. I sincerely hope that if who I am and the message I'm putting out into the world resonates with you, I truly pray that we will have the opportunity to work together. Head over to cliffravenscraft.com, look for all the options that are there, or just head over to freethedreamworkshop.com, and I look forward to seeing you in just a few weeks.